My guest on the podcast has worked in the NBA G League for the past three seasons and is coming off being a video coordinator with USA Men's Basketball. He is Mario Casamajor. Mario, how are you? That sound great. Thanks for having me, brother. Before jumping into the USA basketball, you also worked in the NBA bubble in Orlando. Can you detail what you were tasked with and what were your daily duties in the NBA bubble? I spent uh, 95 days in the bubble. It, it was, a, it was a, a, a true remarkable time. I was super fortunate. Ellis Dawson from USA Basketball called me about the opportunity. And, um, you know, really since... I believe March 11th, um, I was just sitting at home in Chicago kind of waiting to see what was next and knowing that it was going to be a while in, until something. So um, I was asked uh, to be called upon as a team attendant. I didn't know too much about the team attendant world going into this and all the stuff it entails and hard work and attention to detail. And uh, I'm definitely leaving with a ton of respect to those guys that, that do that. So, you know, kind of my daily tasks, you know, we first got to um, Orlando July 12th and had a, had a seven day quarantine, uh, for, on our seven, after our seven days, uh, we kind of saw the, saw the campus and then kind of knew our duties. Our duties essentially were Chris who would get there every day about three to four hours before tip, um, meet with the equipment manager, uh, meet with, not really meet with them. You meet them at the bus, take this, they're taking the equipment off the bus, getting in their locker room, situated and set it, um, rebounding. Um, after that, which is for me, it's kind of like therapy, something I love to do. And, and then during the game, you're either mopping the floor or you're, you're called with a runner. Um, you're just running, helping the team with, you know, if they need heat packs or whatever, they need them back. Um, obviously, with the bubble with different situations, uh, different during timeouts. In terms of seating and, you know, with benches and coaches behind the bench and who can wear a mask and who can touch what. Um, so for me, it was, it was an unbelievable grind. There was a total, I believe, of 58 team attendance that that uh that went in and I think the final twelve of us for the Lakers Heat series it, it was just remarkable to kind of see everything come together. But for me it was also experience where you gotta just kinda keep your mouth shut and, and just learn and that's that's what I kinda took pride in every day was just being a sponge from like the operations end, but then also from coaching. You know, like one of the things you asked about like our daily like our tasks, like during the game, for example, the Lakers or the Heat during the huddle, I gotta Grab all those water bottles that they're using. You know, it's no longer Gatorade cups. I mean, everyone has a certain water bottle, a certain label. Um, you got to grab towels, and you don't. You got a short amount of time, so you're, you're doing all those things. And but you're in the huddle, and you're listening to not just what the head coach is saying and, and Coach Vogel or Coach Vogel, but how the team is communicating, how they're making adjustments, and how teams are just dealing with happens in every game. It's a game of runs and the highs and lows. How did you stay even keel? So for me, it was an unbelievable experience just to come back every day, take notes, and really I felt like I got a lot better on the coaching end, but on the operations end, spending my time there in the bubble, which I'll, I'll forever be grateful for. You mentioned things that you learned, and you've had a lot of experiences working in the G League and working with the USA Basketball. But was there anything you picked up that you may have not known before that will stick with you as far as you go with basketball i think you know some of the things is just kind of adjusting into the the new world that we're in and you know i think one thing and uh, you know coach fratello talked about this a lot with the usa team after talking to coach Vogel and coach fosha is like you know how can you make the most of your time now you might not be able to meet or practice for as long as you want 
So I felt like, you know, a lot of teams, they found different ways of just adjusting the film, locking in on film. I also think communication and then also letting guys breathe and the ups and downs of a game. You know, in the, in, in the bubble, those media timeouts, you know, there's, there's not a lot of fans there, but the, the music is pumped out pretty loud. You know, I think the timeout is two minutes and 30 seconds. That's a lot of time. And you're, you're getting two, three bills a quarter. So kind of just balancing the highs and lows throughout the game, letting your players lead, um, letting your coaches handle certain things and like just kind of seeing the beauty of it. And then also, you know, with the Lakers and Heat, they're both completely different, but they both embrace who they are and how they do things. Um, so I, I think those are some of the things I'll take away from that from the coaching end. And then obviously there's a ton to take away from the operations end in terms of you know, how you're dealing with things in, in the pandemic. You know, guys are getting ready in their rooms now. There, there isn't, you know, there's media availability in terms of Zoom interviews. So there's a lot for me, I guess, my biggest takeaway, Chris, would just be adjusting into this new era of basketball and some of the challenges, but some of the things that, you know, we just got to adjust for our, our everyday lives. I believe prior to the NBA bubble, such setting was never really done with having one location just for games and for a postseason. What were your expectations heading into something like this that really hasn't been done before and being in one location? I think for me, I was just, I'm always intrigued and like, I guess it's just the, the coaching me where I'm just wired and on, on how do teams handle this? Like after a long game, you know, like think about it in normal terms, let's say you take a tough loss play team, take a tough loss, you're traveling the next day, you have the option of taking the day off, getting guys rest, and kind of just throwing that throwing that game away and just moving on to the next one. Or <laughs> here in a bubble, you know, you, you don't have any travel. So what do you do with that available practice slot? Now, I wasn't able to kind of necessarily see or how teams operated in, in those practices, but then also, you know, just before games, how do you operate – with your team in those situations when you're in a bubble. And it's a situation that a lot of coaches are going through now, all throughout basketball, through throughout college. We'll, we'll see it here shortly in the G League. And so how do you adjust in these short-time periods and um, advantage? Make this hotel, make this convention center, whatever you're playing in, make it your home, and how can you use all the hours of the day to capitalize and, and win? So that, that was kind of my expectation going into this is, how are some of these players and these coaches and these leaders going to adapt in these settings to get the ultimate outcome, which is winning? A lot of people, when they see the games that went on, they see what was going on on the court. But behind the scenes, what was life like in the NBA bubble before and after games? Man, I think it was uh, it was quiet. It was relaxing. It was sort of peaceful. You know, you would, you would get together with whoever, and there was this... Uh, this restaurant, I can't even think of the restaurant anymore, but it was in the middle of three bridges, and it was in the middle of the water. You kind of go out there, and even though you're still in the resort, you kind of feel like you're just in some piece of water and kind of just and enjoy dinner, and you're on it the next day. You know, an, an average daily grind, whether you are part of a team or a staff member or you're someone like me, a team attendant or a scorekeeper, you know, your days are usually eight to ten-hour days one way or another, one way you put it. So everything was kind of relaxing. You get back and just really relax. The food and the people at Disney were phenomenal. It was great. You always had amenities, and you were kind of able to work and adjust to whatever your style is. So you got to think, you know, you're working a game every day. 
so that game is varies from time. So your whole day is kind of just like when you're on a coaching staff or on a team staff, your day is kind of based around that time slot. So um, for me, like things that I kind of did to, to get by, I, I don't know if I'll ever be a runner. I couldn't get into running. I tried when I got there. That community and running <laughs> wasn't for me. So I enjoyed biking. I, I biked a lot. Um, I would try to go before games. But, you, also, you know, <laughs> I take pride in rebounding. So you got to try to save your legs for rebounding. But I would try to bike, you know, 10 miles a day either before or after games. And then you also have the pool. And then I've honestly, Chris, I've, I've never been a big reader, never been a big reader. And the bubble did a great job of just, they would just have like a stash of just books that you can just go and grab and read. So I try to do a lot of time just reading by the pool, getting, getting, getting tan. Now I'm, I'm from Chicago. I'm not used to hot weather in October like that. <laughs> so it's, uh, it was, it was great. It was, it was phenomenal. And it was just kind of very peaceful. Um, you, for me, it always just kind of felt like it's just a long road trip. I believe um, there were no positive coronavirus test results from the NBA bowl. With all the limited contact that was in place, can you kind of talk about how stuff like that was done when it comes to social distancing, mask wearing, and all the health protocols that were enforced? Yeah, I think it just kind of goes just just the NBA. And everyone across the board just had a level of respect of, hey, these are the protocols, here are the rules, and we're just going to follow. You know, this is this is new for all of us. So, you know, you, you have, you'd wake up every day, you would do uh, your pulsometer, you would do a temperature check, you would go into an app, you'd fill out your stuff. And then sometime throughout that 24-hour period, you'd go and be tested. Uh, for teams, a little bit different. Like, they would have certain rooms. For us, we would have rooms throughout the hotel that we could go and get tested at. And like I said, it's just a level of respect. You know, when you're eating, you know, you're going to have your mask on until you know, you're going to have your mask on until you're eating or you're drinking something. So um, it, was, it was kind of something where we knew we there, you just wanted to do the best you can to, to keep everyone safe. So I think that that's, that's really where it came from. And, you know, everyone from the, the, like, those are really some of the unsung heroes I thought of the bubble was the nurses and the medical staff coming in for all those days doing testing. And um, those are people you saw every day and you built a relationship with and you really kind of thank them because, we're all, this is all new for all of us. I don't think they ever went to school to become a nurse thinking they were going to be testing people for um, a coronavirus in, in a hotel room in, in Disney World. So it was it was a level of respect and um, really hats off to the medical professionals and everyone behind the scenes that uh, kept the bubble a safe, safe environment. Did you have a level of comfort knowing that you felt safe in the NBA bubble because these health protocols were being strictly enforced? I felt like I was in one of the safest places, not the safest place in the world. That's honestly how it felt. You just always trust the NBA's leadership, and you know, the always, you know, legal teams, the medical team was was always on point. So yeah, I, I always felt this is one of the safest places in the world. Wear your mask, wash your hands, do the right things, and everything will will fall in line. The NBA bubble is probably something that will be remembered in sports history. Did you ever consider on making a diary of what life was like so when people look back on it, they can get a clear look on how life was like in the NBA bubble? Not so much a diary, but for me, I think more coaching notes. Like for me, like one of my biggest takeaways from the bubble was letting your players lead and, and use, like I thought the Lakers and Frank, and Frank Fogel did it. And I'm like, an unbelievable job letting Rajon Wando be a leader and kind of, you know, almost coach and lead 
being around Rondo for those that short amount of time in the bubble was remarkable. I mean, that guy is one of the smartest guys to be around. He he knows he he has that. You know, they talk about LeBron and how he knows their teams play. Rondo is right right there up there, right up there with those guys. So I think for me, just kind of taking notes from all the coaches I've been around. I think I was around out of the 22 teams there. I think the only teams I wasn't around was OKC and Sacramento. So for me, it wasn't so much a diary, but coming back and seeing how coaches led in this environment, how front offices led in this environment, and that there's no, I think my big takeaway, Chris, is that there's no right, there's no right or wrong answer on how you run your shit. Everyone's different. And when you're the captain and, and how you want to run it, 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 it's more on your personnel from your staff to, uh, all the way down to trainers and, and the operations guys. Mario Casamajor here on the podcast. So let me present this scenario to you. Say 20 or 30 years from now, there's family members that ask you about what life was like in the NBA bubble. How would you describe to them what you witnessed and what you experienced and what you remember the most about it? I would say what I remember the most about it is it was a time, it was a summer where, like most of my summers, I'm just trying to figure out what the next step was and on my journey, on my grind, and I was unbelievable, just blessed to to be around 22 NBA teams in the NBA and their operations, and be a sponge and learn. For me, it was like it was like going away to summer camp, Chris, and being around all the great basketball minds in the world. And I, I'll 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 really tell people like you know that's a summer where I felt like I grew grew as a person. And, and, and grew grew as a coach and a leader. You just just being around from the players, the coach office, and front office to front offices and the NBA. Like just just being a sponge and learning. It's the time for me where I look back and say I got better, and it was a tr- tremendous time of uh, for growth growth for me. I know you mentioned that you were close to some people in the NBA bubble, but did technology also help you stay in communication with people who are outside the bubble? Yeah, yeah, sure. I think you know just like bubble or not, you know, we've all respectively kind of been in our own bubbles and our own home cities and trying to, trying to be safe. So FaceTime and just more calling maybe than texting and checking in on people than you might not used to. I mean, being more valued at the time because, you know, we talked about a little bit, you know, you're going to work every day. You have a little bit of free time, but that's like, you know, everyone likes to go home and just kind of just relax and you're, 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 your hotel rooms, your home. So making that home and, and and reaching out to friends and colleagues throughout the league as kind of navigate through your next steps is was definitely helpful. As someone who was on a coaching staff in the G League the past three seasons, you were a team attendant, grabbing rebounds for players and wiping up sweat on the court. What does that say about you being a team player and your work ethic in terms of doing? the task that was presented to you to the best of your ability? Man, I just, I, I've always just kind of taken pride on just being able to adjust. I always say champions adjust, and it's just part of it. You know, you, you're going to have to, your grind is going to be different throughout your career. You're going to have some highs, you're going to have some lows, and this definitely wasn't a low. This is definitely a high and a growing, growing period. So for me, I think it kind of just shows is I'm just adaptable. You know, I'm, I'm a soldier. I've always taken pride on that, and I've always kind of, Getting back to being with Coach Van Gundy of just doing your job. This is what you signed up for. Do your job. Take care of take care of business, and you know everything will take care of itself from there. You can hang your hat on that. So, for me, I never looked at it like ah, oh, I got a rebound today or I got to wipe the floor. For me, I was like, you know, 
how can I get better from this? What can I learn from this? Like, I, I have the best seat in the whole world. I got to, I got to mop up the sweat, but I got the best seat in the whole world. And you know, how can I learn from the players and coaches um, during this time? So I think it kind of just shows uh, how Justin, I'm a soldier. One takeaway that from the NBA finals uh, that I saw was the amount of players that were on the NBA finals rosters that had G league experience which I believe that there were 16 players. As someone who worked in the G League for years, what was it like seeing the G League being represented on a big stage? For me, what it does for me, Chris, it kind of just reassures me to, to keep grinding. And that if, if you know, I'm, I look back to, and we're going to jump into it here shortly, about us playing Mexico. Uh, being with Alex Caruso two years ago, you know, taking a tough loss to Mexico, Mexico City, Kendrick Nunn, He's a, he's a Chicago kid, you know, he's a Simeon kid. His father and my father have worked together for years at at, at DHL. Um, Duncan Robinson, like, guy that was lighting us up in the G League with, with Deontay Mayton and Sioux Falls. And then you see even, you know, throughout the playoffs with, you know, Taylor Horn Tucker, who's a, who's a kid I've known for years, and seeing him grow through the G League and then be ready in the series against the Rockets. And then obviously, you know, the, the true Julie Grinder and, and Quinn Cook and his journey and his pathway. So for me to see all that, Chris, like, that's just reinsurance of just like, man, just, you know, Caruso, Kent, all those guys, they'll tell you the one thing that's that's been consistent over these last few years is just their work ethic, staying at it, checking all the boxes, doing all the right things. So for me, it's, that's, that's motivation that, you know, the goals that you're trying to achieve uh, can be done and, and just keep at it. And being a guy that comes from the G League, and and th- those guys, oh, it, it's it's great. I mean, it's real to see those guys succeed like that. You mentioned a few players, especially from the NBA Finals, like Alex Caruso and Duncan Robinson, who played big roles for their teams. Do you think it shows how valuable the G League is when these teams are developing their players or finding players that can be contributors and play big roles in these big moments? Yeah, for sure. I mean... I think that's it's it's a two part question. Like, what do you got to think about it? Like, Caruso was a South Bay Laker and not on contract with the Lakers for a little bit. So, like, how do you, even though that guy is not a non contract player, how do you still try to hold the values across through your organization? And they, you know, the organizations that he's been in in OKC and South Bay, they, those guys have a great track record of doing that. And then you also have it with Duncan Robinson, a guy that's a two way player. So how do you develop that guy as a two-way player to get the maximum potential out of him to then, you know, be ready for the next two, three years? And so I think that just shows right there that investing in your G League program, investing in your two-way players, as we all know, has just great, you know, it can have great potential. It's finding the right guys. It's finding the right players. So that has great value, and I think it's it's a good question on how you manage it, guys that are – two-way players and are actually affiliates with your NBA teams and then guys that might be exhibit 10s and just on your G League roster, you still want that same culture that you're preaching in your NBA team to translate to your G League team. And how do you do that when obviously guys have a whole bunch of different agendas on both NBA and G League rosters? Uh, this is the fourth season that the two-way contract will be around. How do you think that these NBA teams are using that two-way contract as an additional way to find those contributors and letting them develop in the G League 
so they can get like acclimated to the team system. Well, I mean, you, you could you could look back on you look back on the last three years, but then you think about it this year and like how much of a difference it is. And for me, I I, I love to see the, I love the changes that the NBA has made in terms of 50 games. There's not a lim, you know not a limited days in practice. You know, one thing that a lot of people didn't talk about and still isn't, you know, you have a two-way player and you call him up to come play with your team the night before because you want to be prepared, that guy is not going to practice with the NBA team. You know, he has to do something else on his own because then he loses a day. And that's that's tough. You're asking a guy to come in and be a role player, then he's got no days of practice. He's got nothing under his belt. And you're telling, you know, so that's where I've always gave so much props to those two-way guys like Keelan Martin, like Jordan McLaughlin, been able to, to go up and kind of adjust. You don't have any practice. So now that there's no limit on those days, I think that's huge. These NBA staffs have so many player development guys for this and that, you know, to to now be able to use them on those young guys and not be worried about using days and knowing that those guys have 50 games on top of, it's great to see that they're making a little bit more money now. And it's around the 450 range. So that's, I think the, the growth in that in two ways and then obviously, you know, you might not see a lot of movement of two-way players in the G League this season with um, the format that could potentially laid out. But how, you know, really the teams are looking at two-way players is essentially these guys are just 16 and 17 on my team. I think the the growth of it's been fun. I think, you know, for the first time you're seeing an organization like the Celtics in Maine where they renewed and bring those two guys back. So I think it's going to be very interesting in this climate what teams do with their two-ways. And then do we see two-way shuffled a little bit here during the, the, the season uh, more often? So it's, it's all fascinating things that I think uh, we'll all be following this year's season. Jumping into the USA men's basketball with the FIBA America qualifying team, the game's wrapped up on November 30th, and you're with the team as a video coordinator. How did this opportunity present itself to you? Um, this is something that... Uh, I was I was very grateful and I'm before you know I'm just a kid from the northwest side of Chicago just trying to find my way so when Sean Ford called me about this opportunity it's something that I uh, immediately jumped at I've been with USA basketball the last three years at a, at a support role capacity um, to to join this be part of the staff with um, Coach Fratillo, Joe Prunty, Della Harrington and a brother me on deep is was a tremendous opportunity so something that I was. I was very grateful for and excited for, and you know, really just to, to go out and compete and, and try to go two wins to, to clinch for us to qualify for the America. Uh, the team picked up a 99-59 win over the Bahamas, a 94-78 victory over Mexico. What impressed you the most about the team's victories, and were there any players that stood out due to their performances? I think you know one thing that definitely stood out, and you know, it's the advantages and disadvantages that you have during this time. And this is regardless of being in a bubble or not. You know, we were in a bubble for about two weeks here in Indianapolis, and you are preparing to play two teams in the Mexico and Bahamas who have great continuity, have great togetherness together because they've played in FIBA and together for so long. You know, a lot of these guys that we were playing for Mexico play in the Mexican League um, together. You know, their coach Paco Omez um, just won a championship there before they entered uh, the Indianapolis bubble. So you're, you're trying to, to get a group of 13 guys together on the same page to go play a group of talented individuals that 
have tons of years of experience playing together. So I think one of the things that impressed me is we, you know, things were different. We can't just get everybody in and start practicing right away. We had to quarantine for a few days, um, four. And so how do we adjust? How do we get better during this time that we can't be on the court? We want everyone to come back in shape, but due to the era and the situation we're in, we can't. And so we really took the approach of getting better during this time through film. And how can we get better through Zoom meetings and just simple communication? So during those days in quarantine as a coaching staff, we spent countless hours on, on Zoom calls just getting a feel for what we want to do with with this group. And then once the guys got settled a day or two into their quarantine, introducing our principles, introducing what we wanted, what we're about, and then how we are going to execute and get ready for these games. So we go through a great, you know, four days of, of doing that. We finally hit the court. And it was just great to, to be on the court. You know, I was, you know, obviously we talked about me, my experience in the bubble, but the one difference between this and, you know, the NBA bubble was, I'm competing here. I'm trying to win a game. So to, to be on the court again and, and kind of come together as a group to try to win a game, it, uh, it felt great. And, you know, looking back at some of our practice tapes, we unfortunately had Travis Twice and Josh and Jet. They had lower body injuries and they were banged up uh, during the week. So we had to adjust. We had to kind of get our offense together and uh, try to get our group together when we didn't kind of have our two four generals in the chat and Trice on the floor. I thought Tyler Hall and Jalen Hudson, they did a great job for us uh, during those practices. Um, as well as John Jenkins kind of organizing um, our offense and, and trying to get us right. And then we were lucky to get Travis back for the Bahamas and then both of them back uh, for Mexico. So to come together, not have – we had practices. They were good practices. Like you watch the tape and we're not scoring a lot because everyone's locked in. And then these guys have so much familiarity together. And these are all guys that from – you know, Kaiser Gates to Sir Dominic Pointer to Jamaria Jones, they've all seen each other and know what these players can do in the G Leagues. Like, no one's helping off John Jenkins in our practices. Uh, Jamario Jones is getting boxed out every time um, when the ball goes up because everyone knows this guy is going to go and crash the glass. So the practices were fun. They weren't pretty in terms of offensively, but it was good to see guys locked in and trying to get ready as we prepare to, to play the Bahamas in Mexico. Was the team that consisted of a lot of new players and they may have may have not really played much together before. How is the team able to mesh so well while having two really productive games and having those games where they outscored their opponents by 20, 30-plus points? Well, I think one thing you look at this group, out of our 13 players, six of these guys, three groups of two, Kaiser Gates and Yante Mating both play together in Maine this year. You had Sir Dominic Porter and Levi Randolph um, both play together this year in Canton. And then you have Josh Majette and Emil Jefferson, who were just, uh, they've always been a great tandem in Lakeland. So you usually don't, we were looking back in it, we, we didn't have something really like this with our World Cup qualifying team, maybe with Scotty Hobson and Richard Salomon we had at one point. We had some continuity with guys all being on the same team. But if you look at all six of those guys that I just mentioned, Chris, like all those guys played for winning teams this year in the G League. Maine was phenomenal. Canton was tough. Lakeland was one of the better teams. So when you have those guys on the court, especially guys like Josh and Jet, you always kind of have this feeling that you're going to win. And then, you know, their peers, they know these guys. I mean, we, 
kind of to round up our roster, we had Tyler Hall, Jalen Hudson. Um, you know, uh, Jalen Hudson averaged 13 points and only started six games out of 38 this year in the G League. So he's used to coming off the bench, used to being a factor and a key contributor uh, to a team. I think one thing that helped us tremendously is our best shooter, our best guy that creates spacing on the floor, John Jenkins. He came to camp in unbelievable shape, unbelievable shape, a chip on his shoulder, and was created so much spacing for us on uh, both sides of the floor. And then when you have guys like Sir Dominic Pointer, Tyler Robeson, um, Travis Trice, and then Paul White, a Chicago kid that was on the Salt Lake City Stars this year, all really come from winning teams this year in the G League or previous seasons in the G League knowing that what it takes for everyone to be on the same page and that you might have the most talent, as we know, in the G League, but it's not going to cut games and we got to come together here. So I think having that, when you guys, you have guys that are familiar like Emil and Travis and John and these FIBA settings, that was a great advantage for us. And those were no easy wins. I know the, the final outcome might see it, but especially you watch that Mexico game, those, those guys gave us a run down to the final minute. Lucas Martinez, Paul Stowe, Israel Gutierrez, those are all tremendous players, and I think they would, they would also be great players in the G League, but those guys all play with a certain edge and chip on their shoulder. Mario, it's always a pleasure to speak with you and have you on the podcast, and it would definitely be great to do it again sometime in the future. Chris, I appreciate you having me, man. I really do. That was Mario Costa Major here on the podcast. Mm-hmm.